Pastor Ed Taylor with a few questions for us to ponder over. Do we use the things that belong to God for ourselves? Do we place our pursuits and our goals ahead of God's? Do we steal from God? And before we dismiss these questions like, no, never, ever, no way, just understand, anyone, any one of us can fall into apathy and indifference when it comes to the things of God, especially in times of excess, in times of comfort and ease, when there's really not a wrestling and a stretching. This is amazing grace. I think we'd all agree that stealing is bad and actually forbidden by God. But imagine actually stealing from God in a church. Well, that actually occurs more than we'd like to think, unfortunately, and something King Ahaz did during his rule and reign. We'll hear all about it today on Abounding Grace as we turn to 2 Kings 17. Join us as Pastor Ed Taylor presents part two of his message, Look to the Lord and not to man. Now let's come to another king here in 2 Kings chapter 16. Uh, it says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord has cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, under every green tree. Then Rezan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At the same time, Rezan, king of Syria, captured Eloth for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Eloth. Then the Edomites went to Eloth and dwelled there to this day. So King Ahaz is another wicked king. Up to the point in history in Judah, he was the most, up to this point, he was the most wicked king up to this time. He chose to follow in the ways of the kings of Israel. Same sad, sinful story, different man. It was during the reign of Ahaz that Isaiah the prophet really came to be active. He, and, and here, what Ahaz did is he introduced pagan worship in a graphic way like no other king. He made his sons pass through the fire. He made his sons pass through the fire. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, worshiping Molech was a wicked, difficult thing to watch. Because Molech was, many of the statues of Molech was just a, a statue upright with arms outstretched like this. And it was hollow. And they would fill this hollow uh, statue with coals and different things and heat it up till it was red hot. So you'd have a red hot statue with arms outstretched. And families that wanted favor from God in the area of financial favor would worship Molech with their arms outstretched and place their children on the hot arms of the statue Molech. 
And oftentimes they would sacrifice babies, but on occasion they would sacrifice small children for the sake of gaining something from the false gods, little g. When it says he made his children pass through the fire, it was an abomination. It shouldn't have been named among the kings of God. Shouldn't have been named among the people of God. And so Ahaz brings that from his own family. He burned incense on verse 4 on all the high places. He just worshipped the way he wanted to worship, wherever he wanted to worship. And then in verse 5, the king of Syria comes and attacks Jerusalem. But Ahaz is able to hold them back. Verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. Don't let that just pass. The king is asking a man, hey, I'm your son, and I'm in trouble, and I'm being attacked. Will you come and save me? Verse 8, Ahaz took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, and he sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. And so the king of Assyria heeded him, for the kings of Assyria went up against Damascus, took it, carried its people captive to cure, and called it resin. So Ahaz, in all of his strength, decides to submit himself to the kingdom and the king of Assyria. And it's a dumb move. He chooses not to align himself with Israel. He chooses not to call out to the name of the Lord. But instead, he chooses the wicked king. And he trusts more in Assyria, who will shortly come and take him captive and take his, take his country captive, than he trusts in the Lord. And I wonder, and I ask the question, just so you, the Holy Spirit might be using in your life, but I wonder what or who you're trusting in today other than God and the faithfulness of God and the power of God and the resources of God. Who is it or what is it that you turn to in times of great crisis or in times of great attack? With Ahaz, we'll learn that God sends him Isaiah to tell him that God delivers. He sends a messenger Remember when the kings aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and the priests aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing in the nation, what does God do? But he raises up a prophet, someone that's going to speak the truth into an environment where the truth isn't being spoken or, or heeded. And so we learn in Chronicles that Isaiah is sent as a messenger that God delivers. But his, his lack of faith, Ahaz's lack of faith is so bad. Notice in verse 8, he, he's so far from God that, that we can't miss. Not only is he asking, come save me from a wicked, godless, pagan king, but in verse 8, he takes of the silver and gold. Where was it found? In the house of the Lord. So if the silver or gold is in the house of the Lord, then who do you think it belongs to? It belongs to the Lord. The resources, the tithes and offerings. When you give the tithes and offerings here in this church, they don't belong to Calvary Chapel or to the leadership or the board of elders there. Well, they belong to the Lord. You're giving unto God. You, you give your tithes and offerings to God and trusting the leadership in your, in your life to use them in a way that will honor Him. Which means, by the way, that maybe previously in your relationship with God, you might have supported someone that wasn't treat. You know, you were in a place in your life where you were in a church that really didn't use those resources or they got, you know, somehow ripped off or misused them and you kind of feel like, man, why did I give to that church? You didn't. You gave to the Lord. And God honored that giving to the Lord. 
He'll deal with the leaders, and he'll deal with that church, and he'll deal with anyone that mismanages money. He'll deal with them in, in a way that will honor him. So when you give, you give unto the Lord, which also means on the back end, when you don't give, you are taking from the Lord. Because the Bible says, what do we have that we haven't first been given? Like how we came into this world, nothing. So everything in our lives is from God. And so our relationship is with him through the ministry that he has set up. And so even if you've been taken advantage of or you've been hurt in the past, listen, all of that was given to the Lord. You just trust God to sort it out and keep your eyes on him and keep doing what God's called you to do. And keep continuing to give of your tithes and offerings unto the Lord. Can, to continue to have a generous heart in our city. To, whether it's something so small by giving a good tip in the name of Jesus Christ. Or it's something that really should be coming out right out of the top. It is not okay to hold back your tithe and offering for the Lord. It's not okay. It's not biblical. It's sinful. And you take your life in your own hands when you do that. You're like, man, you know, every, every, every area of my life is taken care of. I mean, if you think about it, if you're a person that doesn't give your tithes and offerings, you give more to the United States government than you do to the Lord. And now, of course, the government's not dumb. They take it out before you even get a chance to see it, of course. You recall when you got your first check, you go, man, I made this much and this is how much I'm taking home? Yeah, because the government knows they're going to take it out right from the top. God's not like that. God's not like that. Churches shouldn't be like that. Our church isn't like that. Your giving is between you and the Lord. We're not going to take it out from the top. We're not going to make you bring your W-2 in. We're not going to search through all the records of whether we're going to trust that you will be faithful with all that God has given you so that you will have a generous heart toward the things of God because God will bless that. You know, God, he didn't institute tithing and giving as a way to raise money. You know that. He owns everything. So he's not trying to raise money. He's trying to raise kids, disciples, and teach you how not to cling to the things of the world. And if it starts with a dime, it starts with a dime. You know, when we're raising our kids, we taught them very early on. Everything they got as an increase, they needed to tithe unto the Lord. Everything. Even their gift cards during their birthdays. And, you know, it's like, what am I going to do? How am I gonna, you want me to cut a 10% off the gift card? No, bro. We're going to cash it out, man. And we're going to show you what it looks like. And we bought them those little plastic blank banks where on one side it had a little church, on another side it had a bank, and then I forget the other one, but you could use whatever you wanted with. So we taught them how to tithe unto the Lord to fulfill what the Bible teaches. We taught them how to save for a rainy day, teach them what the Bible teaches, and then the rest, I think it was a store, the rest they could do whatever they wanted with. And yeah, you know, if you got a gift of 10 bucks, it probably ended up being you had five bucks in your pocket, but that was five bucks you could give with a clean, you could use and spend with a clean conscience. And, and so here he is. These things were given to the house of the Lord and the king is stealing from God. If you like to write in your Bibles, just write next to verse eight. This guy's stealing from God. Literally. For what? To fulfill his own fears and manipulations. He's giving what belongs to God to the enemy. And isn't that a spiritual application? Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's attention, church, how careful we need to be not to give to the devil what belongs to the Lord. Our purity, our focus, our families, all of that. We cannot give to the devil what belongs to the Lord. And he takes what belongs to God and uses it in a way in opposition against God which reminded me of another time we read of this happening, very graphically. Turn over to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. So you're going to find Haggai in that section of the minor prophets. And 
If, even if you don't know where it is, you can go right to your table of contents. It's okay. You'll learn. Once, if you, if you have the anointed Bible, it's on page 1064. No, I'm just kidding. This is an old Bible. Haggai, it's right after, let's see. So those of you that memorize the books of the Bible, it's right after Zephaniah, and it's right before Zechariah. Notice chapter 1, verse 3. Haggai. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat and you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. So it's not working for you, is it? taken away from the work of the ministry. And he gets right to the point. Haggai was sent in a time when the time of Ezra and Nehemiah coming back to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. So the time of Ezra. And he tells him, you won't build the temple, but you'll take care of your own houses. That's really what he's saying. You won't, you won't get involved in rebuilding the place of worship that has been in destruction for all this time, but you'll make sure your own house is taken care of. You'll panel up your houses. And, and there was a lot of opposition back then, but it wasn't just from the enemies. It was also from the flesh. Because paneled houses, and I don't want you to miss this in Haggai, the, the emphasis upon paneled houses is very significant because paneling refers to wood. And of course, <laughs> if you grew up in the 70s, you probably had wood paneling in your house somewhere. Biggest mistake on home decorating ever to be made besides shag carpet. Wood paneling, shag carpet. Uh, I remember growing up, a whole wall in our house had this wood paneling in it, and my mom loved it. That was just her deal. Great, mom. And so the paneling then speaks of wood. And I know you're like, of course, Ed. Yeah, wood. But in Israel during this, in Israel today, wood is very scarce. Almost everything is made of stone. It's very plentiful, and it's inex relatively inexpensive, and wood is very expensive. Cutting down trees and replenishing, and uh, wood's very expensive. Now, in the time where the, the, the time of the siege, the trees were, all the resources were stripped from the land. And so wood was very scarce, very expensive. And so where would they get wood to panel their own houses? <laughs> the wood that was dedicated and donated to fix the temple. See, they started off with a bang, and this wood that was given to them, you'll recall, you Bible students, this wood was given as a gift from Lebanon, which was very plentiful, that was intended for the temple, could have very well, I believe, ended up in their houses instead of the temple. And we need to pause there and think for a moment. Do we use the things that belong to God for ourselves? Do we place our pursuits and our goals ahead of God's? Do we steal from God? And before we dismiss these questions like, no, never, ever, no way, just understand, anyone, any one of us can fall into apathy and indifference when it comes to the things of God, especially in times of excess, in times of comfort and ease, when there's really not a wrestling and a stretching. You know, I had a brother speak to me right before the service talking about how much he appreciates the times of prayer that we have here on Wednesday night. 
and I do too. I think it's just, man, we get to intercede. And, and I wonder what, you know, as we were thinking, whether Jeff and the refugees or Bob and Kate, I wonder what they personally felt or praying, you know, what one of the things in my heart was praying for those junior hires. We're praying for kids that are going to go reach and minister to refugees. I wonder what God wants. They're going to go to serve, but I wonder how God's going to use those families to serve them. Kids! And that's our heart for our kids to have them engaged in the life of their church. This is their church. And have them step out in faith as they did even earlier this week or yesterday and the day before about see you at the pole praying and interceding and kids at a young age. It's just glorious time. And I'm so grateful that there would be a sense of, of interceding and that we'll lay aside all of our personal uh, difficulties and all of our personal preferences. And, you know, I don't like to pray out loud and I don't like to pray, hey, it's all right what you don't like. Let's just do it anyway. It's okay that you don't like it. Let's do something now in your life that you don't like. And so on the one hand, I got a brother right before, I mean, minutes before service started, just sharing how God has used this time of prayer in his life to not too long ago, a brother going, I can't stand, I'm not coming back to this church because you guys pray. All right. There's a lot of great churches in town. Find one that doesn't pray. Isn't that kind of sad? That doesn't make much sense. Find a church that doesn't pray. Well, I know that he's not meaning doesn't pray at all, but doesn't pray intensely and focused and have to sit down with someone, a brother or sister, and just seek the Lord. I believe if just a few people came and prayed, heaven would pour out. God would pour out his blessings. We don't want to take what we believe is ours, our time, our personality, our, and, and say, well, that's how I'm going to relate to God. But we want to stay open to what God wants to do in our lives. And we certainly don't want to take what belongs to God and use it for ourselves in any way whatsoever. We don't want to take his time, his talents, his treasure. As, we, as, as we've been taught, and I have the privilege of teaching you, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. I mean, even the greatest accomplishments that we might have, the things that we want to attain, the, the, the things that we desire, those of you that have had lofty goals and you've accomplished them. I mean, you want to get education, you want to get a degree, you want to get this career, you want to have this much money in the bank, whatever it is, all those lofty goals, and you've attained some, some of them, didn't they just leave you wanting a little more? They never fully satisfied. You're like, well, you know, if I just do this, then I'll be satisfied. When all the reality, satisfaction and rest and peace, remember we learned is all yours already by Jesus Christ and all the attaining, all the things that God wants you to attain, wants you to get to a level of education so he could put you in this job so you can reach these people or this amount of money so you know how to use it for your needs and then you give and you're like all of the things in the right context. Nothing wrong with education, nothing wrong with any of the pursuits in this world. It's just, who are they for? Why are you doing it? What's the purpose? Has God really told you to do that? Or in our context, have you been bit by the American dream myth? Whatever the American dream is this week or last month. It's only what's done for the Lord. And you can look back and I can look back in my life, even as a believer and even as a pastor, the things that I have desired to attain and the things that I've wanted to be a part of, God would give me the opportunity and then he'd say, see Ed, I'm better than that. It wasn't the situation was bad. Maybe I wanted to teach in a certain place. So God said, go ahead here. I'm gonna give you the invitation, go teach. And I did, the Lord used me and then you can hear heaven. Wasn't that great? It was great, Lord. Thank you so much. And aren't I better 
Yes, Lord, you're better. You're better than any achievement. You're better than any title. You're better than any opportunity. Jesus, you're everything. It's all about our relationship with him. And you don't want to take something simple or profound like wood that is dedicated to build the temple. I mean, that would be like when we were building this building, there would be brothers dropping off big old dry, you know, sheets of drywall. And that would be like us coming in, taking the drywall and building out our basement. They're <laughs> like, how could you ever enjoy the basement was built out with the drywall you ripped off from the church? And we had all kinds of things ripped off here during that time. You know, how could you possibly enjoy that? But it reminds me, you know, when, when we opened the bookstore and when the bookstore, you know, when they did surveys of bookstore, you know the number one thing stolen from a Christian bookstore? Bibles. That would be really hard to read the Bible that you ripped off. I mean, God could still use it and bring great conviction to your heart, but like if you're here and you want to steal a Bible, don't. Just take one from the chair. Those are free. You won't be stealing anything. We give Bibles away all the time, so you don't need to. You can, we'll give it to you as a gift. Please, don't be like King Ahaz, the wickedest king to date, stealing from the temple to pay a pagan king that's going to take advantage of him anyway for temporary relief. That's the point. Don't steal what belongs to God, church. We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 2 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, or wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Calvary Aurora. What is the key that unlocks God's blessings? In a word, grace. That's the emphasis in Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. In it, he explores the mystery of grace and reveals why we can never grow in grace by our own efforts. It comes from the Lord. We'd like to send you a copy of Why Grace Changes Everything for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our mailing address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Well, Pastor Ed, here we are on a Wednesday, and there's a service that will take place here at Calvary Church, Colorado at 7 p.m. What are you teaching these days during the midweek service? Well, right now we're in between books, Larry, and we're teaching some topical studies on condemnation, uh, how we're free as we're in Christ from condemnation. As a matter of fact, uh, go to our app, you know, download our free app, stay connected, make sure the notifications are turned on, and tune in. I think the, the series that we posted is called Free From Our Past, and it just seems to be a, an area where many believers are battling today, and we're, we're in the middle. We, we're coming up on starting a brand new book 
Uh, but Wednesdays are very special for us. It's our midweek boost where we come together like Acts 2.42, and we sing together, we pray together, we take communion together, and we study God's Word together, and then fellowship together. And right now, our downstairs cafe area is under construction. And then when that opens up again, uh, as after we remodel it, it'll be some uh, a lot more free area to enjoy one another and fellowship over a meal, over a snack, over a cup of coffee. We're real excited about it. And Wednesday nights is a very special and important part of the life of our church family here at Calvary Church. And uh, it's it's a really special Wednesday nights are very special to me personally because that's the night that I was born again at a Wednesday night service and so I'm grateful to be a part of Wednesday nights here at Calvary and you're welcome and we invite you come on out doors open at six o'clock or so and we'd love to have you out if you're here in the Denver metro area and if you're not then join in 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, whether you listen live on our app, you can listen live through Grace FM, or you can watch live. But we would love to be a small part of what the big work that God's doing in your life. If you'd like to join us in person or watch our live broadcast, go to calvaryaurora.org. We hope to see you sometime. We'll return to Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.